0: We will begin the podcast now. You will remain aware of everything that goes on. Okay. We're going to find an incident in your life that you have an exact record of. Then, by sending you through it, at the time it happened, we are going to reduce it. We will reduce the
1: pain. Go to the beginning of that incident. Tell me what's happening. And what's happening is the 70th episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. That is correct. Wow, Mike, that's weird hearing you would kind of do the intro
0: there. Uh, I like it, though. It's it's like it's like sleeping with a different woman after you've been in a relationship for, like, 20 years. It's just weird seeing it, in, you know, in a different way. But, yeah. But, but, but kind of erotic. Oh, my God. It's, see, it's it's like I got to say shit like
1: that, and it's, then it's ruined. It's, all, it's already awkward. Yeah. But, well, you know, if like, you've been with us for 70 episodes, you already know that's coming. You know what to expect.
0: Uh, you know, you would think that. But the, the one-star reviews still keep... <laughs> Rolling
1: in, so yeah, I know, but we also get some other ones that are nice, yeah. But a lot of people just judge us on our first episode, which is kind of unfair, right? They do. And I've got I've
0: actually gone in and I've retitled like episode one. Um, I in parentheses I put go to episode seven, that's the better audio because like I really do feel like people listen to the first (laughs) one and they write us off, and it's like, hey, dipshits. If you made it, (laughs) if you would have at least got to episode seven, you would have heard that we quickly advanced our... Anyway, we're we're going off on a tangent here. (laughs) This is episode number 70 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Sunday, November 5th, 2017. I'm sorry we've been away, folks. Um, I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you. Me and Mike tried this very same episode last week, and it
1: just kind of... And it was a disaster. It
0: sucked. It sucked, and... Though it sounds like our podcast is of low standards and we don't really try, which we don't. I mean, even for us, this was, this was bad last week's thing. So, yeah. you know, I was like, let, let me re-watch the documentary, which is Going Clear, uh, The uh, Scientology and the Prison of Belief. That's the documentary we're going to be I talking about. I know that
1: I heard that you watched it again with your uh, friend and she had never seen it before. So I'm actually curious to see what or to hear what her thoughts are.
0: Well, that's going to be a disappointment there, Mike, because uh, she was nodding in and out the whole fucking time, and there's nothing more annoying than when you're excited about something and you want to show somebody else that, you know, you have a a, a high opinion of their opinion or a high value of their opinion, and they do something like fall asleep during the movie. I mean, it's just kind (laughs) of like, wow, you know? It's like just just tell me you don't tell me you're not going to be be able to stay awake or something, you know? I mean, it's yeah. it's cool, you know, everyone gets tired and shit, but like, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, honestly, like this is a documentary about the Church of Scientology and some of the uh kind of corrupt and scandalous things that happen within the church. Um, and then, then it kind of gives us a little bit of history of the uh of, ch- of the Church of Scientology as well. And it goes through all the terminologies and Folks, if you don't know much about Scientology, by the end of this podcast, you are going to see how fucking nuts these people truly are,
1: and I I just, I, I can't recommend this movie highly enough. I can't either. It, it is an incredibly well-made documentary. It's compelling. It's interesting. For a film that's like two hours long, it has really good pacing. So it isn't one of those boring documentaries. I don't understand why somebody would fall asleep watching this, because I personally feel it grabs you right by, right from the beginning by the throat and doesn't let go. So it's kind of like really like of all the documentaries.
0: <laughs> well, she's got a really weird like like she doesn't get to sleep
1: very much. Um, uh, so that's understandable then. So yeah. I'm not really gonna blame the the you know the whole falling asleep if you're not getting sleep. But at the same with. time,
0: she was like so stoked to watch it because I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna be able to watch the documentary because we're not doing the podcast this week." Which, by the way, mm-hmm. I, I hope you guys all enjoyed those little interview uh, cutlets I made. I'm gonna call it a cutlet, like, because it's it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't the full meal; it was just a little piece yeah. of meat. But um, yeah, I know you know they were already in previous episodes, but I really did feel like, man, I talked to people and Mike for one of the interviews. We talk to people from the fucking show Unsolved Mysteries. And for us being two little piss ants, nobodies, you know, like that's a big deal. And I I just felt like for anyone new to the podcast, they should be able to have direct access to those interviews without having to sift through our previous episodes. So I hope everybody enjoyed those and the the play count or whatever kind of showed that they did. So that's cool. Um, Which, by the way, you can. Like us on Facebook, it's Facebook.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, and we have a Patreon as well if you'd like to contribute to that. It's Patreon.com slash Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, um, but yeah. And
1: yeah, normally we talk about Unsolved Mysteries segments and things like that, but we like to branch out every now and then, and this is one, one of those instances.
0: Yeah, I mean you know there there folks l- let me break something down for you let me speak condescendingly to everybody right now if i may um there are only a finite amount of unsolved mysteries episodes out in the wild and now i think <laughs> maybe due in part to us to a little extent now there's like three or four other unsolved mysteries <laughs> podcasts <Yeah>. as well <laughs> so there's people out there talking about unsolved mysteries are being talked about okay so that's that's the point so we have to start to diversify our portfolios a little bit every now and then not you know
1: truth be told unsolved mysteries is our bread and butter as far oh, exactly.
0: as exactly as far as what the podcast we're not is about.
1: gonna stop uh, with the unsolved mysteries, you know, we're not gonna stop talking about the show and segments from the show. It's just every now and then it's nice to take a break and do something different that's not from the show. Although if you like the show, I mean, it's the kind of thing that I, I really think you would like this documentary because Scientology it ties in with uh, the unexplained and aliens and stuff. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say though probably the biggest unsolved mysteries category that this would fall into would be the
1: category of fraud. Yeah, uh, exactly. This um, would be this is one giant big fraud case. Yeah, so
0: if you like the fraud episodes of unsolved mysteries, then this will be uh, right up your alley. Um, is there anything uh, key that we should mention before we d- dive into the synopsis? Well, this is a this is a, essentially this is a, almost a transcript. This of is a transcript. Yeah, so, so you're gonna we're get... just
1: gonna we're gonna read. The film for you, pretty much, It's going to be like an audio book. Exactly, with, uh, both of us.
0: Exactly, and, and we're going to be commenting on like certain, like yeah, we're not scene- just going
1: to read it and not say anything. Come on, like that's not. But you know, there are we're not going to say something about every single thing. Like there's certain stuff where we're like I don't have anything to say. I mean so. I mean sure.
0: Did <laughs> did we just basically read off to you uh, the son of Sam one on the very first episode we did? Yes, but we atoned for that sin like 60 something episodes later and we redid it. So, yeah, you know. Exactly. If we fuck up on this one, give us another 60 episodes and we'll <laughs> fix it eventually. Or maybe we won't. Yeah. So, so, is there anything um, that you can think of that needs to be uh, from from Mike being the film guy, you know, and his YouTube channel and everything? Like, is there anything from um, film-wise or anything we should we you should say or we should know well, about this before we go uh, into it?
1: I'm just gonna look at the credits real quick and give credit where credit is due.
0: Well, Mike's looking at credits and he's giving credit where credits due, and he's he's searching that right now, and I'm talking. So we don't have so, what's known as dead air.
1: Okay, alright, didn't take that long. It's directed by Alex Gibney. Uh, he also wrote the film, which I don't know if you can really say some... A, a, there's actually a script for a documentary, but okay. Um, He directed it. It's based on a book called Going Clear by Lawrence Wright.
0: We'll be hearing Lawrence, a lot from Lawrence Wright in this yes, transcript, by Lawrence the way. Lawrence
1: Wright is also interviewed on the documentary. It's narrated by Alex Gibney, and he did a really great job narrating it. Uh, I thought the the film was really well edited by Andy Grieve. And uh, like I said earlier, it's 120 minutes, but it goes by pretty quick. And it's just... You can tell that this is a film that there's a lot of care and thought put into it. To make it as engaging and as interesting as possible. So... If you like what you hear, and even though we're reading off the transcript, it's not the same as actually seeing the film. Because there's certain visuals and certain things and the way that they show certain shots that you're not going to get from us reading the transcript.
0: And I mean, we can't forget the ultimate uh, We Stand Tall music video clip that you have to see to believe.
1: You have to see that shit to believe it. And also, there's a link on YouTube uh, with that video that has uh, these uh, annotations on it that just reveal even more juicy details of the tomfoolery and fraud of Scientology.
0: Yeah, and the only uh, little teaser I'll give you about the We Stand Tall music video, the Church of Scientology made a, a music video. Sorry, I kind of burped just then. Um,
1: they, well, it, it gave you
0: indigestion just it, thinking about it. It did. That's why it wasn't the pizza <laughs> I had uh, like a, 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 a few minutes ago. It was. It was definitely the Church of Scientology. So,
1: <laughs> so the documentary. It is, it is your typical sort of like '90s pop song you know what it
0: it reminds me the music video and how it was shot everything it reminds me of those old uh Folgers commercials
1: (laughs) the best part of waking (laughs) Waking up is Folgers Folgers in your your cup that's it's like
0: it how it looks and how it's shot or like a Mentos like yeah Mentos Mentos. like that's what it reminds me of so yeah anyway so let's 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 we take-
1: stand tall hey yeah hey yeah we stand <laughs> t-
0: oh it's bad let's get into this shit okay so the the, the documentary starts off with a, a writer filmmaker and scientologist for 35 years a man named paul haggis Now, i like this guy i, I like the cut of this yeah, man's he's,
1: jib yeah he's a really great guy
0: he starts off by saying i was 21 years old living in london ontario canada now, that's kind of a mouthful right there. London, Ontario. Good Lord. How many cities are we cramming into <laughs> one fucking country here? He says, I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker, and someone had told me about what they called, they said, there's this cult in New York called Scientology, which I'd never heard of. And, he, and if you give them all your money, they'll make anything possible in your life. About six months later, I was walking down the street. This guy was there selling books, and I realized they were selling the same book, Dianetics. Which, again, I'd never heard of. He handed me one and asked me to look at it. He was talking, and I wasn't really listening to him. I opened up the cover, and it said, stamped on the inside of the page, it said Church of Scientology. And I said, take me there.
1: The next uh, person who's interviewed here is an actor named uh, Jason Begay. Is, yes. that, is that how you Correct. say his last name? Jason Begay is an actor I am familiar with. He was in a film by George Romero called Monkey Shines, and he was really good in that. So he's an actor and a Scientologist for 13 years. All right. All right, here we go. I'm not a great multitasker. You know, and if I feel like doing something, that's what I do. And uh, I was into this shit, and I was becoming an auditor. Like, I was in Scientology probably four months, and I'd done more than John Travolta had done, and he'd been there for 85 years or some shit. My agents called, you know, and you and they said, you got an audition. Eh, fuck it. I, I, I don't really... You know what I mean? I, I was on... I'm on a spiritual adventure. And this was like, whoa. You know, this is an interesting road. You know? So, uh, what was the question?
0: yeah and that's how that's how they that's when jason started speaking like he just kind of went off on this shit like this shit was like in his head and he was just like going off about scientology and he's literally going so what was the question like at the end of the interview or whatever
1: he's like so tell me how was it you first uh this is the question so tell me how was it you first got involved in scientology so then we go to spanky taylor
0: who was a public relations consultant for scientology and she was a scientologist herself for 17 and years she
1: was a really good friend of john travolta's
0: yes which they get into later on and she says well i was introduced to it by some friends i don't know if they said it or if it was just talked about by others uh that they had superpowers and i i was like really young but i thought i'd like to have superpowers
1: i mean who wouldn't right i mean like if it's if some religion or some cult is saying we'll give you superpowers like wouldn't a lot of people be like, "Yeah, I'd sign up for that." She'd have to but, be
0: real young. But at the same time, I would be free- like,
1: "Come on, I don't buy that." Like, I, I would just be like, I'd call bullshit on it immediately. I'd be like, "Superpowers? Come on, look." No. I mean,
0: it was <laughs> it was it was difficult to damn near impossible for me, even as a kid, to believe in organized religion, let alone this cr- this kooky. Side religion called Scientology, where people are saying they're
1: going to give you superpowers. So I don't even know it's really a religion, it's more of a cult to me.
0: Well, as we'll soon see. So she's talking about there, you know, this this Scientology place, you know, they'll give you superpowers. She's saying, but also, I had done so much political social work, so this really looked like that it was a solution to handling a lot of the world's problems instead of trying to handle things en masse. You could deal with it person by person, make each person better, and thus the world would
1: get better and more sure. And and you know, that's that's a good sentiment. That's a nice sentiment to make each person better and thus the world would get better and surer. Like it seems like Scientology is saying all the right things but the way that they're going about it is not the right way.
0: Well, it's like any other call. They they tell you yeah. everything you want to hear at the get-go in the beginning, and then only once you're and in... And then you're
1: drinking punch.
0: Right. Once you're in <laughs> too deep, then, then you're in, you know, yeah, you're drinking some Kool-Aid in, in South America <laughs> with some guy who kind of looked like me a little bit. <laughs> I got I to read this next line by Dave Miscavige. I'm sorry. I just, I have to, because I, I am so fascinated by the... Ch- David Miscavige is the chairman of the board of the Church of Scientology. Uh So in the documentary, it then cuts to David Miscavige standing in front of the, the, the Church of Scientology congregation. And he's just going, well, thank you very much and welcome to our whole new world. It's a world where the operative phrase reads exceeding all expectations, transcending all parameters, extending the boundaries beyond any boundary, not to mention Godspeed lightning speed and a quantum leap in sheer rapidity of progress up the bridge and then everyone starts clapping (laughs) this is Tom Cruise dude this is this is John Travolta and Tom Cruise this is this is what they belong to right here then he goes we're out to make every life extraordinary and if by chance it ever seems laborious or a sacrifice then you're looking at the off-ramps instead of the highway you are missing the signpost up ahead the next one that reads Next Stop Infinity
1: <laughs> He sounds like a cheesy self help speech Fucking guy. Fucking nut job. Yeah, this exactly. guy is a I, I nut love the job. whole lightning speed. I'm like lightning speed? What is the <laughs> What's next? You're gonna go plaid? <laughs> what are you gonna go to root- ludicrous speed? <laughs>
0: yeah, and if you guys are wondering
1: <laughs> about the whole
0: sheer rapidity of progress up the bridge, oh, oh, we'll get to what the bridge is.
1: We'll get to that for sure. So, you- speaking of John Travolta, hey, he is uh interviewed next, and this is an uh, interview I think on the set of some film. I think it might be The General's Daughter because he's dressed up in military. Of course, duds. you would know that fucking nerd. <laughs> Probably my favorite concept of Scientology, you know, is a world without criminality, a world without war, a world without insanity. And I know of no other group that their goals are that clear. Look, I don't you name me another philosophy, religion or technology, that one of its main goals, besides the three I mentioned earlier, were joy is the operative concept. I mean, what he says here actually does have some weight, but not with a organization as corrupt and as batshit insane as scientology
0: right if if it wasn't for all the stuff that we're going to get into here uh all this sounds great on paper and i love how they're throwing the big names up at the very beginning yeah. of this documentary to really whet your appetite for what's about yeah. to come
1: and then you and then you have john travolta and then you have tom cruise and then you have crazy tom cruise up on the and he's all <laughs> He's on the podium. He's on. He is up there on the pulpit, shaking hands with Misca- Miscavige. Gets up there. He's got. He's- these are the times now, people. Okay, these are the times that we will all remember. Were you there? What did you do? So, what do you say? Can we clean this place up? Yeah. Okay. Because we're counting on you. Okay. All right. To I- I-R-H. No, it's, it's
0: L-R-H. L-R-H. L- Ron Hubbard. To
1: L-R-H. Hip hip hooray. Hip hip hooray. Hip hip hooray.
0: Dude, this that scene is so crazy because they have Tom Cruise on this podium and you're like, oh look, there's Tom Cruise and he's looking rather handsome, you know? Mm-hmm. And he's got this big fucking like Special Olympics medallion around his <laughs> neck.
1: And he's the, saying the all this Frieda shit. Freedom Medal or something. Yeah, Freedom yeah, Medal of shit. Valor.
0: You know, this totally made up Award by the Church of Scientology to give to Tom Cruise because they're totally sucking his dick right now, kissing his ass to, to keep him to keep him uh, interested in in the church. Well, yeah,
1: they're tap they're tapping into his ego. He's a very egocentric guy, right? So they're just doing whatever they can to please his ego. But you're and seeing that's what's this keeping him in. You're seeing him give
0: this speech, and you're like, "Oh, Tom Cruise, you know that he's a fairly sane individual," and then they cut away. To this huge portrait of this old man, this old goofy looking man. Yeah. And he goes to LRH and he puts his, like, a scout's honor, like, salute to the forehead, the two fingers to the forehead. (laughs) And he salutes this portrait. And at that point, I'm getting goosebumps because I'm like, holy shit, he really believes this. Like, this this is not one of his movies. This is Tom Cruise, the man, in real life, up here. But he, like this is this is real. He's up there in the clouds. This clip exists. You know this isn't some movie scene.
1: Um, so so Scientology so, is such a subject of fascination for people. How did you get engaged in the story?
0: So then they cut to author Lawrence Wright, who who wrote the book Going Clear, and he and he states. You can take that. Okay. Right? Okay. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're tag teaming this one like professionals, the professionals that you've come to expect. Uh, so Lawrence Wright, the author of this book, he's interviewed a lot in this, uh, in this documentary to move things along. And he goes, well, I've always been interested in, religious, um, in religions and why people believe one idea rather than another. I've studied Jonestown, radical Islam. They're oftentimes good-hearted people, idealistic, but full of a kind of crushing certainty that eliminates doubt. Now, that's that's a phrase you need to remember for not only this cult, but any other cult. A crushing certainty that eliminates doubt. And he goes on to say, you know, my goal wasn't to write an expose. It was simply to understand Scientology, trying to understand what people get out of it. You know, why do they go into it in the first place? I was interested in intelligent and skeptical people who are drawn into a belief system and wind up acting on those beliefs in ways they never thought they would.
1: Yeah, it, it this documentary is more than just a hit piece. It actually does teach you about Scientology, and help you understand it in some way, shape, or form. And I I love his statements here because they really do ring true. And that's honestly why I thought it was interesting. Uh, and I I'd always look forward to watching this because I, I was like I wasn't just looking for like a tabloid type of expose. I, I wanted to see Kind of something that explains some of this, or at least attempted to do so.
0: Yeah, this isn't and this isn't talked like,
1: about why sane individuals, you know, uh, skeptical people, they get sucked up into this. Yeah. So then it goes back to Paul. Ha- so you have guess, Paul Haggis, and, and it's
0: and it's resuming kind of the the early kind of beginnings of of Scientology mm-hmm. for him and his experience with it. And you can go ahead and read this one.
1: The Church of Scientology turned out to be two offices above a Woolworths store. He asked me, what's ruining your life? I said, oh, I'm in love. I'm in love with this woman. It's impossible. I don't know what to do. I need some help. And he said, we can help you with that. And I said, really? Yes. And I ran home and got her, and I said, we have to sign up for this. It sounds really good. It could save our relationship. So we both signed up to the next day, we both signed up the next day to do a course, which I think cost around $50. The thing that absolutely got me and stayed with me forever was the very first thing I read when you open up the course pack. And it said, I'm paraphrasing, don't believe any of this. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, discard it. I was troubled by the fact that they called it a religion, but I figured, oh, it's just some tax scam. It's fine with me. I don't really care about that as long as it works.
0: So then it cuts to Jason Begay. The first exercise after you do all this reading and stuff like that is ca- is this thing called O T T R zero, which is basically you stand, you sit just like this, eyes closed, three feet away from somebody who's doing the same thing, and you basically confront them, you know. And in Scientology lingo, I went exterior. Exteriorizing is what they call it, you know? You leave your body. So it was a uh, transcendent experience for me. And that made me go, holy fucking shit. This is wow.
1: (laughs) I I love uh, how nonchalant Jason is this interview's so here. It's like the complete opposite of Paul Haggis. Oh yeah. And these other people. He's, he's like more he's just my, like, my type and it of And made me go, holy fucking shit. That's my type this of guy right there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Some crazy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, he he he
0: swears like a sailor in this documentary and I love it because I'm like, yes, that that would be me, you know? And then 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 that you know subsequently I'm sure people bitched and go, I wish he wouldn't have sworn so much in the documentary. It really ruined it for me.
1: Anyway, sorry, I'm not bitter. So, the next one is Spanky Taylor, and she's interviewed, and she continues, she's talking about how she got into Scientology, uh, continuing where she left off from the earlier quote. I was reading books, going to lectures, and going to things, different events, at the mission, at the local Santa Clara mission. And then I knew I wanted to join the Sea Org and get really involved, and as soon as I could, because... Which would this would be right out of high school The Sea Org is the most fraternal order of the organization It's people who really really believe in the cause And sign a billion year contract Which I did when I was you know as soon as I could I left skid marks getting to that billion year contract You thought you were doing something good To have a positive effect on all of mankind That's what Howard says everything you do for endless trillions of years depends on what you do here and now within Scientology. And I think it meant Hubbard, but yeah. this person, I just, that's what Hubbard says, look, not Howard. Look, This folks, isn't Howard the Duck. Uh, we don't. Howard the Duck is not writing the book. That That would be interesting. Howard the Duck's scientology oh look folks we we don't have the
0: time or man hours to proofread this shit okay so you're just gonna have to take this as the free b-level podcast that it is so then we cut to crazy uncle l ron hubbard and i could
1: try to take this if you want no no oh no 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 go ahead and take it i want to <laughs> i want to i want to try to to
0: t- to convey these tap lines, of- into, <laughs> tap into
1: tap into Elron. Yeah, the thing
0: that strikes me about Elron Hubbard because they show like like almost like an archival footage of Elron Hubbard from like the sixties or or seventies mm-hmm. or, or where, wherever like it is
1: sixties or fifties or something like that. Yeah. Sure.
0: And the thing about Elron Hubbard is he he tries his hardest to come across as an intellectual. But he's fucking not. When you hear him talk, yeah. he sounds like a moron trying to sound smart. So this is, this is L. Ron Hubbard. I began to ask this question. What is man? And I found, oddly enough, that nobody could tell me what man was. What did he consist of? Where was he going? What was he doing? To really know life, you've got to be a part of life. You must get down and look... You must get into the nooks and crannies of existence. You have to rub elbows with all types of men before you can finally establish what he is. And you, in fact, did this. Oh, yes, I've slept with bandits in Mongolia, and I've hunted uh, with the pygmies in the Philippines. Uh, Matter of fact, I've studied 21 different primitive races, including the white race. And my conclusions were that man is a spiritual being that was pulled down to the material, the fleshly interests, to an interplay in life that was, in fact, too great for him to confront. And I concluded, finally, that he needed a hand.
1: Absolutely wonderful uh, impression there of Elrond there, Josh. Um, He sounds like a Bond villain. He really does, like Goldfinger or something. It was like, "No, Mister Bond, I expect you to die." <laughs> and even in the like the uh, footage
0: that they showed of him yeah. from the the documentary, he might as well have been petting a fucking like white cat in his lap or something,
1: <laughs> like <laughs> Doctor Evil. <laughs>
0: yeah, like with a fucking like monocle in his face or something. He he yeah, he looked like a Bond villain. <laughs> so this is the leader. This is the guy yeah. who got ho- big Hollywood actors and all these other people. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the man
1: Look up a picture of him To understand Scientology You have to understand the life and mind Of its inventor, L. Ron Hubbard Hubbard was a prolific writer He actually holds the Guinness Book of World Records For the number of books published More than 1,000 Hubbard got his start in the Depression Writing Pulp Fiction Named for the cheap paper used Writers were paid a penny a word So he had to write a lot To make any money Hubbard hammered away so fast on long rolls of butcher paper that he used to drop sweat on his typewriter. Hubbard's career took off when he began to write for a magazine called Astounding Science Fiction. Along with offers like Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, Hubbard wrote stories with a sense of mission, to get man to the stars.
0: Author Lawrence Wright goes on to state, he found his true metier in science fiction, and a lot of what Scientology is, he had previously written about in the form of his science fiction. He had the ability to fabricate these amazing tales, and he transported those imaginary stories into his theology.
1: Like, you even see like uh, pictures of these stories, and you have stuff like Clear, and other sort of elements that you would see would be placed into Dianetics or Scientology. Yeah. After Pearl Harbor, Hubbard took command of a sub chaser, but he was still a man prone to invention. He would write that he sunk, he sunked, he sucked. <laughs> he would write that he sunk two Japanese subs, but in fact, just off the coast of Oregon, he opened fire on what turned out to be a log and dropped most of his depth charges on underwater magnetic rocks. When he accidentally shelled a Mexican island, he was relieved of his command. After the war. Hubbard ended up in Los Angeles where he settled with a small group of seekers and visionaries.
0: Author Lawrence Wright comes in in the documentary at this point yet again and he says, A guy named Jack Parsons, a fascinating man, uh, was one of the founders of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And there's actually a crater on the moon named after Jack. He was a significant scientific figure, but he was also the head honcho in this black magic cult. It was called. <laughs> this,
1: is, this is rich, yeah. folks. This is really rich. Uh, in this black
0: magic cult, it was called the OTO or the Ordo Templi Orientis. They follow the teachings of Aleister Crowley, a famous sexual magic figure in England. Parsons had a mansion in Pasadena. Uh, they would have ceremonies and they were seeking some sort of goddess figure that he could impregnate in order to create the Antichrist.
1: And they actually have footage of this, like, s- ceremony, <laughs> and it- it's trippy. It's like something straight out of uh, some trippy, acid-fueled 70s music video. Like like acid drug exploitation
0: film or something. Uh, Hubbard moved in and became Parsons' assistant. One night, this beautiful redhead named Marjorie Cameron showed up at the door. She was perfectly willing to engage in this sexual ritual in order, supposedly, to produce the Antichrist. She and Jack eventually got married. That happened after Hubbard ran off with Jack's girlfriend Sarah Northrup. So right off the bat, you know, Hubbard,
1: you know, he seems like a great guy, doesn't he? Yeah. Totally capable. Scientology and Hubbard would later refuse to acknowledge his relationship with Sarah, but we uncovered Sarah's own recolle- own recollections of her time with Hubbard. He w- he was 13 years older than I was. I thought he was a great war hero a captain of a ship that had been downed in the Pacific. He was weeks on a raft, and he'd been blinded by the sun, and his back had been broken. All these things were complete lies, but I didn't know it at the time. I believed every word of it.
0: If only only Sarah had seen Hubbard's military records in a 900-page file, Hubbard's activities are laid out in extraordinary detail. Hubbard told people that he had been blinded and crippled during the war and the practices that would form the basis of t- Scientology had cured him. But his records show that his only wounds were mild arthritis and conjunctivitis. He's a bullshit artist.
1: So the girl, uh, she continues. like It's not actually the woman here. It's some other woman narrating her diary or, or what she's written about Hubbard. We had this terrible fight and he told me he was going to commit suicide if I didn't marry him. I really believed him, so we got married. We spent the winter in that lighthouse on the lake in the Poconos. I remember one awful night when I was asleep, and he was out typing, and he hit me across the side of the head with a 45. because I was smiling in my sleep, and he said I was thinking about somebody else. I got up, left the house, and walked on the ice of the lake. I was terrified. He always said that he would kill me rather than let me leave him. The only good thing I got from Ron was my baby. We moved to Elizabeth, New Jersey, and he started writing Dianetics. The book was conceived, and he started working on it in 1950. He said many times that the only way to make any real money was to have a religion. That's essentially what he was trying to do with Dianetics. Get a religion where he could have an income and the government wouldn't take it away from him in the form of taxes.
0: Dianetics was an immense success. From the moment it was published in 1950, it swept through America and other countries around the world. I'll take this Elron Hubbard here.
1: We cut back to- Real quick, though, I want to talk about the girl, like the the, the former, like Sarah. Oh, sure. That really does show you this really dark side of Elron, Ron, and it gets even crazier as it goes on. Uh... He's abusive, he's mentally unstable, and this is some, some people's, uh, idol. This is the Scientologists, uh, this is their idol. This is their guy they look up at to and salute and go hip hip hooray.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh... You know, usually these uh, leaders of these religions, you, 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 or these cults or whatever, they at least on the uh, on the out, outer surface, they like Jim Jones or you know these kind of yeah. cults of personality. They they have this very um, polished and very PR friendly kind of image, but already from the beginning, we see digging into his history that L. Ron Hubbard was a very confused dorky kind of dude who just kind of wanted to be cool that's what it sounds like at the end of the day yeah
1: he was also kind of an asshole too it wasn't just like oh I want to be cool and you know he's abusing his girlfriend you know he does some really fucked up shit later on with his kid and it's just You could tell that this man is unstable right from the beginning, how he was being discharged from the military. He had had severe delusions of grandeur. So then we
0: cut back to L. Ron Hubbard in reference to Dianetics here, and he's saying, this book, that's the background of all of this. That's what started all the trouble. We expected this to sell about 6,000 copies, and it hit the top of the bestseller list of the New York Times and just stayed there
1: month in, month out. It was like I started an avalanche. And here you have Mike Rinder, who was a former Church of Scientology spokesperson from 1982 to 2007, and he's uh, interviewed here. The modern science of mental health is considered to be the fundamental text, which is the foundation upon which all else is built. One of the theories of Dianetics is to discover these things that are very traumatic, or have been very upsetting to you, and if you can observe exactly what happened, the power of that incident to influence you today is removed.
0: Lawrence Wrights comes in at this point saying, The concept of Dianetics is that you have two sides of your mind. There is the analytical side, which is a perfect computer. It remembers everything. It's flawless. It never makes a mistake. Then there's the reactive side. And this is where all your neuroses, anxieties, and fears are stored. And where do they come from? They come from Ingrams. and Ingram is like a memory. Then it cuts to Uncle Elron here. I, I just I got no, <laughs> to I gotta take Elron. I got to cut I got to take Elron's lines here. Oh,
1: that's fine. No problem. So it cuts
0: back to Elron Hubbard in old like like kind of uh, archival footage of him again going, A man has an automobile accident. He has a picture of an automobile accident. He has all the sensations of having been hurt in the automobile accident. It takes him a long time to recover because he's still wearing the automobile accident. If you said, hey, why don't you take this automobile accident and throw it away? Well, all of a sudden, he recovers from the automobile accident naturally, because the thing that's keeping it impressed upon him and his body is his mind. An auditor is a practitioner in Scientology. He listens and computes. We have a meter. A meter simply shows where an individual is aberrated.
1: Then you have Lawrence Wright who comes back in and he describes what the E-meter is. The E-meter is a very powerful instrument. It's one-third of a lie detector. A lie detector would also measure your respiration and pulse. There's two cans and there's electrical wires carrying an undetectable amount of current into a meter with a needle on it. According to the Church of Scientology, it actually detects the mass of your thoughts, although there's no evidence that thoughts have mass.
0: So, again, already we're poking hole. The, the documentary is kind of like subtly poking holes in Scientology because it's saying yeah an e-meter is one-third of a lie detector because a lie detector would also measure your respiration and pulse so already this e-meter isn't even as scientific as a common lie detector would be
1: no and and with this whole Dianetics thing it just it, tie, it ties in with the time where people were looking to improve themselves. And it makes sense that that kind of took off because people were doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, even later on, like in the 70s, people did stupid self-help programs, you know. And people just want to better themselves. And there are a lot of gullible, desperate people out there who are willing to get sucked up into things like Scientology kind
0: of feel like especially this this thing would flourish in California which it did because you had so many of the hippies at the time who kind of that was their mecca was like LA you know like in like San yeah. Francisco and you know all these places and yeah so this religion kind of you know it it, it kind of preys upon that hippie like you know the, the energy fields and these other kind of things and and there's not a god who's saying that, you know, you're you're an imperfect being. You're instead it's it's these other things, you know, that we'll get to called Thetans and you know. Mm. So anyway, we cut back to Mike Rinder, who says, uh, this current from this e-meter, the current passes through your body, and as your mental mass increases, so does the resistance to the circuit. So the auditor will ask you a question. Tell me about an upset with
1: your mother. So which it's it's in essence, psychology, really or psychi- psychi- uh, psychiatry. Um, but you'll find out later that Elron Hubbard himself hates psychology. He hates psychiatry and thinks it's evil or wrong. So Lawrence Wright goes back to Lawrence Wright and he's interviewed he's, he, this is uh, what he has to say. What's truly bothering you about being with you know with your wife's behavior? What is it? Why are you upset today? Well, I had a fight with my wife. Well, I can see that there was that same thought. Say that again, and gradually, the needle will have less response. And in that manner, you discharge that emotion. Then you're asked to go back to earlier incidents that were like that. And you might say, well, my mother spoke to me in the same scolding tone of voice. And you recount that story. And eventually, you discharge that emotion. And that's very much like Freudian Freudian therapy. Freudian. Freudian, Freudian therapy Sigmund Freud not, But with Scientology Then they'll ask further Well that's as far back as I go Well maybe not The auditor might say something just registered Something just med- registered on the meter What was that? I had an image in my mind Well what was the image? It was a barn Are you inside the barn? Go back to that image Okay open the door What do you see? Well, it looks like 19th century France. You walk outside and, and you see the people dressed in their costumes. And the e-meter is saying that this is real. This is a real memory. It's just as real as those other memories that you had. So they're manipulating people's minds with stuff like this.
0: So, yeah, like, like you're going through your entire history of your life and you're discharging every negative you know, feeling of of all, you know, negative memories that you have. And then it's like, well, shit, we've gotten to my birth, you know, there's nothing more. And then like, well, maybe not, you know, like keep thinking and tell me the first thing comes to your mind. Well, I mean, Jesus, that's like a you know, like a Rorschach test or something where you where the, the ink splotch on the paper and you just kinda of make some shit up of what you think it yeah. looks like. I mean it's kind of the similar thing in essence because I I can close my eyes and, and think of a random image right now in my mind. And anybody can do this. I mean you mm-hmm. can you right now, wherever you're listening, you could close your eyes and I want you to think of uh think of an image, you know, a place. Where are you at? Okay, we'll keep going with that. And I can like make up some bullshit scenario about this thing that you literally just made up in your mind it's like it's called creativity human beings can think of stuff that didn't really happen it doesn't necessarily make it a true event that happened so then Jason Begay comes in and he goes this beautiful soft little needle and everything's good needles rising which means he's getting you know he's stinking a lot the needle just like goes like a lot of shit just blows away the theta bop which is very quick little thing like doot 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 doot, which means exteriorization.
1: And then you have Mike Rinder, who is interviewed again. He says, when you come out of an auditing session, you feel euphoric. And Paul is interviewed again. That confessional nature makes you feel better. And Spanky Taylor is interviewed. Somebody would say, oh, you're going to have a session. I would feel better just hearing that. Then you got old uh, Uncle Uncle Ronnie here, L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> Man is
0: asleep. He is hypnotized. Now in Scientology, reverse the process, and you'll make him wake up. Such a man becomes unbrainwashed, you might say. He becomes unhypnotized.
1: This sounds, Mr. Hubbard, in a sense, like an extension of psychology or psychiatry. Oh, no, no. Psychiatry has to do
0: with the insane, and we have nothing to do with the insane whatsoever. Is this a form of psychoanalysis? No, psychoanalysis. They lay back and, and and don't 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 associate Scientology with such people. That's that's
1: terrible. That's bad manners, you know. <laughs> I mean, that just shows me this guy's nuts. I mean, he's talking about psychiatry and psychology. He's like that has to do with the insane. We have nothing to do with the insane whatsoever. When in essence they coming have, from the insane guy. Ha- okay, have, all right. <laughs> they have
0: everything to do with insanity.
1: <laughs> so Lawrence Wright is interviewed. He says when L. Ron Hubbard first wrote Dianetics, he thought it was a tremendous psychological breakthrough. So much so that he would be recognized. He wrote letters to the American Psycho- Psychological Association. They couldn't make heads or tails of his ideas. To them, it was like psychological folk folk art. For instance he would talk about clear
0: oh, that cuts back to uncle elron here saying that means that the individual has erased his reactive mind his unconscious mind is gone and he is totally alert and totally capable
1: i mean this is the kind of shit that you hear from some hippie who got high on fucking drugs and was just like yeah man like your reactive mind and then your unconscious mind it's gone man and then, once that happens, you're totally alert. And you're clear, man. And you're clear, man. <laughs> so, Lawrence, it goes back to Lawrence Wright. Once you've taken away all these traumatic memories from this life and previous ones, then you are clear. Someone who had a perfect memory who was never ill... Your eyesight would be better. We tested people before Scientology
0: processing and after Scientology processing and uniformly found that their IQ had raised. We are making such individuals. We're making them regularly, and we're making them routinely. An overact is an effort to individuate. It is a withhold of oneself.
1: That's creepy. Like, if it wasn't already creepy alone with this creepy old guy talking shit... Now he's talking about how he's making these individuals. He's making them regularly. Like This is the kind of stuff you hear from like really delusion delusional people who are dangerous, who are t- taking advantage of other people and brainwashing them. Then it cuts back to Sarah. Her voice here. Uh, the voice of somebody being Sarah portraying. but it's not actually Sarah. Portraying Sarah. Ron gave lectures everywhere for large amounts of money, and money just started pouring in. I mean, these people were paying $500 a piece in the 1950s for training in Dianetics. I felt that he was stealing from people, and that he was hoodwinking them. All the business of sitting, holding hands, and putting all these false memories into people's minds, they would fin- finally come along and say, Oh yes, I can remember it all. We were surrounded by sycophants. He began to believe that he was a savior and a hero and that he really was this God figure. He was absolutely, absolutely convinced that he had the cure for the psychological ills of mankind. and That the only reason that it wasn't being propagated far and wide was that the medical profession had a vested interest in keeping people sick. I think he was afraid that some psychiatrists would pop him into an institution. He degenerated into a really paranoid, terrifying person.
0: Sarah threatened to leave Hubbard unless he got psychiatric help.
1: You can take Lawrence Wright there.
0: Then Lawrence Wright goes on to say, he responded by kidnapping their baby and taking her to Cuba. He was incapable of taking care of her, so he put her in the charge of a mother and daughter who were both mentally retarded.
1: (laughs) Again, stand-up guy, man. Stand-up guy. Yeah. So, we cut back to Sarah, and they apparently kept her in some kind of cage. He called me and told me that he had killed her. He said he had cut her into little pieces and dropped the pieces in a river, and it was my fault. Then he'd call me back and say that she was still alive, and this went on and on and on. When Hubbard came back to the U.S., Sarah persuaded him to agree to
0: a divorce and gave her custody of their daughter.
1: When I left him, He cleaned out all the joint bank accounts so that I wouldn't have any money. Hubbard soon
0: lost all his money, too. Dianetics proved to be a passing fad like the hula hoop. But Hubbard still had his imagination, so he repackaged the ideas of Dianetics into a religion called Scientology. Hubbard added more science and more structure. Along with the e-meters came a payment plan. Every step to clear had a price tag.
1: Then you have this uh, guy off camera says something says, how would you describe your business model? And then you have an interview with Tony Ortega, who's a journalist for the Underground Bunker blog. Rapacious. It's all about making money. Hubbard, from the beginning, knew that people would pay for this counseling at a pretty good clip. And so he continued to come out with more and more levels. The real money was in paying for these higher and higher courses. They were getting into thousands of dollars. Those prices kept going up and up. That's really where Scientology begins to create this indoctrination. It's, is, it's Hubbard that came up with that. Only Hubbard. And you have to be a part of our group to get the, that spiritual satisfaction you were looking for. Yeah, and that plays a video clip from
0: the Hubbard College, and it's saying, uh, the Hubbard College of Scientology, Qualifications Division, Department of Certifications and Awards... Does hereby certify that Anthony A. Phillips has obtained the state of clear. And they hand him some kind of like <laughs> diploma or some shit.
1: It's just silly. And then the narrator continues, As more members paid for Hubbard's bridge to total freedom, the church's coffers swelled with hundreds of millions of dollars. From the beginning, Hubbard tried to shelter that revenue from any government taxes.
0: Then there's a news report, and the news reporter saying, the founding church of Scientology attempted in 1967 to get a court determination that it was exempt from federal taxation on the basis that it was a non-profit, non-profit religious organization. A federal court denied the founding church tax exemption, saying that some of the church's earnings from 1955 to 1959 were used for the personal benefit of private individuals. L. Ron Hubbard and family. ABC News has repeatedly re- requested interviews with Mr. Hubbard. We have been told that he is unavailable.
1: Then it cuts to this uh, woman named Hannah Eldringham Eltringham Whitfield. She was one of the original Sea Org members and a Scientologist for 19 years. Now this lady,
0: this is she's got she's got some uh, she's got some stuff to say.
1: Yes. It was very exciting. It was that heady mix of emotion and belief, and it's you get stuck to it. It's so strong that it sticks to you like glue. There's no way you can get away from it. I was deeply convinced that we were going to save the world. I consider myself tremendously fortunate to be in that position. Out of the blue, one day, I received this envelope with an invitation with an invitation to join the Sea Project. It was completely confidential. I wasn't to tell anyone about it. I was so ecstatic. Here is a chance to work with Hubbard. And I signed, yes, I was on my way to the greatest adventure of my life. We had an overnight flight in Las Palmas in the Canary Islands, where we found... Uh, Where we found at about six o'clock in the morning We were taxied Down to a dock We had to climb up this rickety ladder All the way up to the ship And we couldn't believe this was where we were going This ship was a rusty hulk I was given a dirty old jumpsuit To get into Missing one arm and the other one was almost half torn off And put to work We had to scrub this ship And clean out the ship Which was arduous, strenuous work In the heat Hubbard came to the ship every day, smoking cigarettes and surveying his kingdom. After dinner, he'd come in and join us on the well deck. And there he was, you know, right amongst us, talking to us. He would be his most magnificent self at those times. He'd lean back, he'd look up at the cosmos, and he'd point out galaxies and constellations, and he'd say, the fifth invaders are up there, and this is how they dressed, and this is how they talk. And see that blip across the sky over there? He'd point it out, and we were all, Yes, we see it. We see it. And he'd say, That's one of their space vessels. Cuts to Uncle
0: Elron Hubbard. And there was... The 4th Invader Force was here. The 5th Invader Force came in. And the name of their solar system is Space Station 33. The 4th Invader Force had been there for God knows how many skillion years.
1: Uh, had been sitting down. And it cuts back to Hannah. And we'd sit there spellbound. You could hear a pin drop on that ship. He had us emotionally captured and held us right there in the palm of his hand where he wanted us. He had us right there. I mean, how could anybody take this this kind of thing seriously? I mean, you'd have to be really gullible. But I guess he's a very charismatic individual. And it's that kind of thing where you have someone like that, who despite the bullshit that's spewing out of their mouth it comes across as genuine to a lot of people and they want to believe in what he's saying. And what's weird about this lady is like, she's talking about
0: how she was so excited about kind of joining the sea org. And, and then it contrasts to her talking about this rusty old Hulk of a ship. And it's basically a piece of shit that they're sailing around on. Yeah. And then she cuts right back and in the same breath talks about how, L. Ron Hubbard was his most magnificent self, you know, at night staring at the stars and all this other stuff. So it's like this juxtaposition of, like, they know this has got to be some kind of bullshit because look at this rusty old hunk of metal, but then at the same time this guy, L. Ron Hubbard, he must have been one of those guys that, like, he was so captivating to listen to, you just want to be around him. I've met met people like that before where just... They had that way of talking and, and persuasion that you just kind of, I don't know, got like this warm feeling, you know, run down your back. Like, wow, you know, like this person is, you know, there's something about... Maybe
1: like uh, Robert Stack, you know, somebody who would light up a room.
0: Yeah, well, let's, let's not compare LRH to uh, good old RS. I mean, the Holy Church of, of Robert Stack is what the religion I'm trying to start. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, in the early 1960s, Hubbard was under investigation in various countries. His solution was to take to the high seas. He made himself commodore of a fleet of three ships, a Scientology navy. To the crew, the vessels, he created the Sea Organization. The members of this so-called Sea Org would become
1: the church's clergy. And then you have Lawrence Wright. He uh, comes back and uh, says a few more things. They began going from port to port in the Mediterranean show up for a few days, and then go off, sail off in some other direction. And a very enterprising reporter for Granada Television in Britain tracked him down. Slate one, take one. That's one of the very few instances where Hubbard has actually appeared on camera.
0: Then they show this kind of like archival footage of L. Ron Hubbard being interviewed. He
1: He looks like the captain from The Love Boat. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: or something or like, like that or like a crazy or like howard
0: hughes in his crazy like se- yeah. senile
1: years yeah like where he's
0: like wearing tissue boxes for shoes and he's like wanting to build the spruce moose and all this shit like that Elron yeah. hubbard's already taking on that appearance um even in the this interview and uh the interviewer asks, uh what are you actually doing on this ship now i am studying ancient civilizations Trying to find what happened to them, finding out why they went into a decline,
1: why they died. It goes back to Hannah. Hubbard believed that he had lived various lives in the Mediterranean area as a Venetian a Venetian prince, as an Italian prince. As a matter of fact cutting back to Uncle
0: Elron Hubbard here, it's quite interesting that exercises can be conducted which demonstrate conclusively that there are memories which exists prior to this life.
1: Cuts back to Hannah. He had buried treasure all around the coastline where he would here, and he wanted to go find all these caches of treasure. We were all very heated, very excited about this. Whatever was his was his whim, we did. We would have died for the old man. So the Br- which shows you how charismatic he was. Yeah. Um.
0: So the British interviewer goes. Um- Don't you wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and think to yourself, Well, I've been on this ship with a whole lot of Scientologists who believe I'm fantastic. And L. L. Ron Hubbard responds, Oh, they don't believe I'm fantastic. If you saw the number of times they don't follow my orders.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then it cuts back to Hannah. L.R.H. started to devise a system of penalties or punishments, or what he called ethics. And one of those penalties for the auditors making mistakes in their auditing, auditing sessions was to be tossed overboard. You have done such and such and such, and we commit your errors to the deep. And then just pushed overboard. 30 feet, 35 feet. Then it cuts
0: back to Elron Hubbard, and he cut this motherfucker. <laughs> He's going, this is definitely off the record, so don't use it. I love that. (laughs) But Scientology organizations were more organized when I was the director of it, and I haven't been the director for some time, so maybe there are abuses. I wouldn't tell anyone else that, of course. (laughs) What a cheeky (laughs) bastard. (laughs) So it's kind of like, do you need any more proof? And I mean, this was back in the, what, late 70s? Well, when he's on the boat, I think this was like the 60s. Late 60s, yeah. So, I mean, it's like your whole basis of anything. I mean, it's kind of like the Paul Haggis thing at the very beginning of everything. You know, don't believe it. If it works for you, great. If not, discard it. Yeah. Uh, You know, it kind of goes back to that,
1: you know, because at the same time, LRH to me, like he's a nut job, but he's not as terrifying and scary to me as his successor is. And we'll talk about that more. Yeah. So the British
0: reporter goes... Do you ever think that you might be quite mad? And he goes, Oh yes, I'm the one man in the world who never
1: believes he's mad. That's the madman. <laughs> you're the one man in the world who never believes he's mad is the madman. He's like, ha 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 ha. Yeah, eh, yeah. you're a madman. <laughs> so then it gives up a- By the mid-1970s, the Scientology ships are no longer welcome to dock at many ports in the Mediterranean. Hubbard set sail for the United States and in Florida, he snuck ashore, and it goes to Paul Haggis. So we got married a year and a half after we joined and moved to California. And I wanted to be a writer. And my wife, she was studying Scientology. We had a baby right away, and the only people we knew there were Scientologists. I was working as a furniture mover during the day and writing spec scripts at night. Then on the weekends, I, you know, I'd be there doing some auditing, and there's a social aspect to it too. You got to hang out with people, and there were some interesting people, nice people. And these are all people who were looking to improve their life.
0: Yeah, another aspect about when um, R- Elrond docked in Florida and he snuck ashore, mm-hmm. uh, to avoid subpoenas and IRS agents, he remained in hiding for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, while Hubbard was hiding from public view, he was very active in directing the operations of the ter- of the church, particularly in Hollywood.
1: This was just after the Hate Ashbury era, and what Scientology was selling itself is get high without drugs. It was a place where people went and explored ideas, and you would often see famous people: Leonard Cohen, members of the Grateful Dead, Rock Hudson. So they built the Celebrity Center. The idea was to draw in these famous entertainers and use them as pitchmen for the religion. Then it cuts that. The, that, inter- that totally makes sense. Yeah, L.A., Hollywood. Se- early 70s got all those hippies who were all trying to get high without drugs yeah
0: no he yeah i think he had more hippies that were trying to get high with drugs but yeah i'm sure sh- you yeah. know there were some that were i guess trying to be straight edge even before straight edge was a thing mm-hmm. um then it, then it introduces uh kim masters who is a journalist for the hollywood reporter She goes on to say uh, in an an industry like Hollywood, where stardom is such an elusive quality, Scientology would offer a route to maybe feel a little bit more secure. And when you're trying to break in, you're also dealing with relentless rejection and something that helps you stay focused and feel that you're improving yourself and becoming more clear. uh, You can see
1: the appeal of that. Yeah, a young John Travolta, like super young John Travolta, I think, like. 80s John Travolta at least yeah the beliefs and practices that I've studied in Scientology have been so invaluable to me have you ever met Ron Hubbard I'd love to I'd be honored because I think he's so brilliant he and he says it he says it like such a
0: dumb like just ditzy like valley girl Uh, I'd love to uh, I'd be honored because like I just uh, I just think he's so brilliant I just
1: just think he's so brilliant Uh, (laughs) ah I must say Then they cut to Spanky (laughs) Taylor
0: again and she goes on to say, so when I worked at the Celebrity Center, I would just, you know, recruit various people like Priscilla Presley, uh, which I don't know if you guys know this or not. She's also a Scientologist, but they don't really harp on that very much in this particular documentary. Uh, and of course, John Travolta, John Travolta, Johnny, he came, uh, he started on course and he was so fun and outrageous. He just made a party wherever he was.
1: Lawrence Wright. John Travolta was a young actor in his very first movie. He was a troubled young man, and he was looking for help. And this very first movie was *The Devil's Rain*, which is a crazy movie. Have you seen it? Yes, it's crazy. <laughs> of course, you've seen it's an it. <laughs> absolutely crazy-ass '70s movie. People turning into goat men and shit, and rain that melts them because they're making deals with the devil. It's it's insanity, but it's entertaining insanity. Uh. <laughs> It's not scary. I think it's trying to be scary, but like it's the opposite of scary. Like it's it's just not scary. I just scary remember at all. the
0: clip they show in the documentary. Uh the one guy's got like what looks like this greenish like mucus or pus coming out of yeah. his eye.
1: Mm-hmm. That was pretty gross. So he was a young actor in his very first movie. He was a troubled young man He was looking for help. A fellow actor gave him a little bit of Scientology counseling. She gave him a copy of Dianetics. And he was transported by this. So
0: then it cuts back to Spanky Taylor, and she goes, uh, he would go out on his auditions, and no matter what he went out for, he would get it. A Band-Aid commercial, right away he booked that. Now the army starts you. He was booking everything. And then he went up for a series. Of course, he books it. And it was a big series. Welcome back, Cotter. And that shows a clip of Travolta back in the day. (laughs) Up your nose with a rubber hose. Oh, my God. How is was, How the people of the seventies or whatever this shit yeah. came out, they must their cringe meter must have been a lot higher yeah.
1: than now because any I, I love I love the Isle of the Seventies joke that they made on the VH1 show out of the seventies where they talked about Welcome Back Cotter and and they were talking about like the one like the Rorschach guy and he was all talking about like well what if like this is the seventies man, like this guy was probably getting into studio fifty four you know? And, you know. It was like, oh, it's Rorschach. <laughs> it's it's Horschach. you know, it's like a, do the laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: that's so sexy. <laughs> Mike, I got I don't know what the fuck you're talking about right now, I gotta be honest.
1: It, it's it's a reference to uh Oh the seventies. Oh, okay. You never heard of that I show? I've
0: heard of it, but I don't who's Rorschach and <laughs> He's a character from Welcome Back oh, Cotter. Well, I never watched Welcome Back Cotter. what the fuck how have you seen it you're like 29 years old you're as old as me that was that was way before our time mike you're i'm an old school guy that's why mike you're 29 just give it up you're not 28 i mean yeah chronologically you might be 28 but like mentally you're 29
1: i'm probably younger than that mentally
0: (laughs) yeah well we're both probably teenagers still mentally (laughs) So, so in the late 1970s and early 1980s, John Travolta was Scientology's biggest star. Spanky was assigned to be Travolta's key contact with the church, and she helped out with producers, fans, and the press. They became close, and when Spanky got married, Travolta was there.
1: When Johnny first got into Scientology, he didn't even believe in himself that much. But he got injected with a lot of confidence, and then you get this phobia inducement, that if I leave, it's all going to go down the tubes. And when you're in the organization, all the good that happens to you is because of Scientology, and everything that doesn't, that isn't good, is your fault. And then they cut back. So that's that's a great mantra, isn't that for a religion? Yeah. Imagine if the Bible was all like, ah, eh, you know, everything that good that happens is because of me, because of God, and everything that doesn't happen, it's your fault. You know, everything good that doesn't happen is your fault. But I think it kind of still is like that. If, if something bad happens, it's your fault. Well, I mean, honestly, fault. yeah, I mean, like both.
0: Christianity, you know, <laughs> it's 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 not, I, I mean, it's not as crazy, I guess, but I mean, it, that's got its own things too. I won't get into like all that, but yeah. I mean, it's like. In Christianity, it's like, if something good happens, it's God did it. If something bad happens, you did something to, to piss God off or something. like you. Or it's just, that's just God's will. Yeah, way. that's God's will, and we have no explanation for it whatsoever, which is even worse.
1: And I never understood that, because I was like, so God killing your grandmother was God's will? I I don't understand that I really don't
0: I mean you know the grandmother dying that's more understandable but like an earthquake in Haiti that kills like millions of innocent people it's like well that was all part of God's plan anyway (laughs) we won't get on religious talk no Um, no that cuts back to Paul Haggis and he says they sell it all in the beginning as something quite logical everything makes sense and you're going up what they call the bridge you're doing this auditing and this is good and the next one well it's not quite as good It didn't quite make sense to you, but, you know, you've already paid for the next one, so you'll do that one.
1: And then it cuts to Sarah Goldberg, who was a Scientologist for 27 years, who attained the highest spiritual level. The bridge. It's a metaphor. You start here at the bottom of the bridge, and then you go up to the top. So where it is, it's an awareness scale. You start down here and if you're not aware of anything, then you go up here and you're a whole lot more aware. you whole you're a whole lot more aware of who you are, your spirituality, your relationship to others. A person is supposed to become more able as they go up the bridge. And then there are, are the OT levels operating Thetan. And a Thetan is a spiritual being. That's the soul of the person. And what level over time did you achieve? OT 8. That's the highest there is. You can't get any higher
0: than OT 8. Paul Haggis cuts in. From the beginning, you hear these stories. People tell these abilities they've been able to gain.
1: Spanky Taylor is interviewed again. It was always talked about, and people... who that people who were OT could read your mind, and they could move objects at will, and they could... they, they were cause over matter, energy, space, and time. So it sounded so damn good to me. I mean, I thought, wow, this is great. Now, now when she,
0: okay, so these people who reach these levels of OT, it's like, mm-hmm. uh, why, when you join the church, <laughs> couldn't you have just gone up to one of these people and been like, hey, move this cup with your mind, and if they're able to yeah. do it, it's like, oh, shit, this works. And if they're not able to do it, it's like, okay, well, this must, you know, they the, they can't do any of this stuff that that was kind of yeah. sold to
1: me. I mean, wouldn't that be the te- like the instant test right exactly. there? Exactly. Well, that makes sense. That's the thing. It makes sense. <laughs> That's the reason why people don't do that. Um I'll take this one is uh Paul Haggis and uh this is one of my favorite quotes from the entire documentary. Like, this like really starts blowing the lid off of things and showing you how truly Ridiculous this whole thing is I finally get to OT3 and they give me The secret materials which I've been hearing About all this time They're handwritten by Hubbard You have to keep them in a locked briefcase And be very cautious Because they always said if this gets out It's dangerous to people It could actually do harm It could actually do them harm if they are not adequately Prepared And I read it And it doesn't make any sense. This gobbled story that didn't make sense. I remember for one fleeting second thinking, maybe it's an insanity test. Maybe if you believe this, they kick you out. You know, maybe that's it. That, of course, is not the case. They talk about, you know, the fact that the Earth was created in such and such trillions of years ago, and this guy, space guy, galactic overlord, was. this was a prison planet... And people being caught, captured, and being brought to planet Earth, and put them in volcanoes, and blowing them, up, blowing them up with a bombs. Whoa! I, I, I studied geography in school. Those volcanoes didn't exist 75 million years ago. And we have these lost souls all over us, and we have to get rid of them. And I'm going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, I'm down for the self-help stuff. I'm down for, okay, I can be clear. I can get rid of the negative emotions. But what the fuck is this?
0: <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> when you get to the upper levels of Scientology, the creation myth is explained to you. The story is that 75 million years ago, people lived in a world very much like the world of America in the 1950s. It cuts to Uncle Elrond here. People at that particular time and space were walking around in clothes which looked very remarkably like the clothes they wear at this very minute. And the cars they drove looked exactly like the same cars we drive now. And they walked down the streets that looked like these streets.
1: And back, and it cuts to Lawrence Wright. It was a very similar world and similar problems, one of which was overpopulation. They had elected a fellow by the name of Zenu to the supreme ruler, there was a trianical overlord of the Galactic Confederacy named Xenu. In order to resolve this problem of overpopulation, he called him, he called people in ostensibly for tax audits, and had them frozen with injections of glycol to their heart, boxed them in, up in boxes, threw them into space planes. DC-8 airplane is the exact. Co- th- this is actually uh, no. isn't this Elron, yeah, this is Elron. still? Yeah. DC-8 airplane
0: is the exact copy of the space plane of that day. They were flown to the prison planet TGAC. It's actually the planet Earth. And these frozen bodies were dropped into volcanoes. They set off hydrogen bombs on top of each volcano, and their disembodied spirits, these are called thetans, floated out, and they were captured and forced to sit in front of movie screens with a 3D super-colossal motion picture they were shown images, implants, as Hubbard would have it. Every man is crucified, so is a psychiatrist shown crucified, and that's how he gets away with what he gets away with. He electric shocks people, and when a child is born, a Thetan will leap inside the child's body at that very instant, and it becomes like the child's soul. Then it's like Lawrence right? It's going in between Lawrence and Elrond here, so it's kind of yeah, hard exactly. to, you know... But so these, these thetans, they, they go into the child's body after the child's born. So it's more than one thetan might crowd into the body. Hundreds or thousands might crowd into the body. Uh, and they are the source of all of our neuroses, fears, and anxieties. Then you are on the E-meter by yourself now. You're soloing. You're supposed to scan mentally from the top of your head to your toes to see if you can locate any alien beings. And when you do, you tell them to go away. And that, folks, in a nutshell, (laughs) is Scientology what they believe when you really get down to it. Exactly. You know, Jesus died on the cross and he took on the sins of man. You know uh, what? What is it? A Muhammad came down or something. I don't know the the Muslim beliefs, but don't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like all the other religions, they have their explanations. That folks, what you just heard was Scientology. They, you know. There was a Xenu, a galactic overlord uh, 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 in a civilization that looked just like the 1950s. And I think it's funny, too, that L. Ron Hubbard wrote this shit in the 50s. And he's saying yeah. the people looked like they do now and drove cars, that, the, the same cars mm-hmm. that we drive now. Obviously, he, you know, he didn't really build a story to his religion that would stand the test of time. Because no. the 1950s was a very different environment than now. I mean, he could have been like oh it was futuristic so no one can can be like oh that's that's you know that's that's fair because nobody knows what the future is going to look like so no one can no one can look at that and be like you know, come on, really? People were driving
1: what, like, like Ford
0: Thunderbirds and, you know, wearing the, the uh, business suits with the little top
1: hat fedora thing. And, and, and they're watching super colossal motion pictures. I know, dude,
0: that's how he I don't know what kind of accent he tries to speak in. And whenever I do like a, a parody or of his voice. Like I, I really try to like get that essence cuz that's how he talks. He goes, you know, he's it's like he's trying to sound smart and like he's dictating this he like he's dropping some fat knowledge on us right now, dog. Cuz he's like big <laughs> mo 3D super colossal motion patcha. Like he just <laughs> uh, he's so fucking weird, man, but fascinating at the same time.
1: Yeah, but not not
0: fascinating in the way that I want to follow him or you know. No,
1: no, not even remotely close. I mean, uh, Paul Haggis is just—he has a perfect reaction to. It's like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Yeah. So then it cuts back to Hannah Whitfield. I kept on trying to audit. I could not figure out how I could have all these spirits of dead people attached to me. Inside me, on me, I was clear. For God's sake, I was clear.
0: People actually have breakdowns, you know, nervous breakdowns, because they spend so much time thinking about being infested by these creatures. And if you're really believing that, it it can drive you crazy.
1: Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that people with schizophrenia probably deal with, right? Yeah. They think that there's something inside of them, and they can't get it out, and it's near them or it's on them. It's, got, it's like OCD for the soul, you know? Like, I'm not yeah. clean
0: enough. I'm not clear enough.
1: Those. There's a Hannah. It goes right to Hannah. Those years of introspe- introspection eventually led me to sincerely considering that I was so bad that I couldn't confront how bad I was. I didn't know it at the time, but a depression set in that was with me for years. The worst thing was that LRH kept ordering me to do more auditing. I had to find swords that were stuck in me. Hypothetical swords, imaginary swords that were causing all this pain. This auditing went on and on. I wasn't doing any good. I should have been left alone. But everything that I took offense with, I rationalized almost immediately. I had to. I could not continue with this game of Scientology without explaining away what he was doing. It got to be a way of believing. And every one of us got into that. It was part of the mind control. It was part of the cultic manipulation. He was the master who did it to us, and we took it on, and then we did it to ourselves. And I learned from it that I would never ever again, you know, go do the bidding of a tyrant. Hannah left the church in 1984.
0: Woo! You go, girl! Yeah. So then it cuts back to Lawrence Wright, the author here, and he goes, uh, Hubbard questioned his own sanity and actually wrote a letter to the Veterans Administration asking for psychiatric help that he seems never to have been given. Uh, I think that his whole creation of Scientology really was a form of self-therapy. If he were just a fraud, then at some point he would have taken the money and run, but he never did that. He spent much of his day on the e-meter trying to understand what was going on inside of his own
1: mind. I think I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, I I don't think he's just not at all trying to fraud people. I I don't buy that.
0: That is a valid
1: point though. Like he you know, he yeah. would
0: have if it was a if it was truly a fraud to the very core, he would have just taken the money and run at some point. Yeah. But he
1: he he hung around and he was really trying to Well, also he was not getting as much money because remember uh he was still t- having to pay taxes. No, he 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 and he, he was, wasn't
0: paying taxes.
1: Oh, he, he wasn't paying yeah, taxes the whole time, at all, he, which is why he was in debt. That's why he, and that's why he probably wasn't making as much money is because he was on the run all the time.
0: No, he was making money. He was just not giving oh, okay. any to the IRS. Like that was the whole yeah. big that was that's how they okay. ended up racking up that huge amount of debt.
1: But that's still kind of taking money and running cuz you're not paying Taxes. well he wasn't running he wasn't <laughs> running from
0: you know the congregation though you know and no, that's usually no, how fraudsters no. work they'll
1: yeah exactly know. but the congregation in this case is willfully paying him so that's the difference well they
0: willfully pay in all the other instances too yeah so
1: what's your point mike <laughs> That sometimes, you know, because the whole thing with a collection plate and things like that, that's like, there's a part in the Bible that's like, give your blessing and whatever. Like, this is just like, pay me so you can get up to these different levels of Dianetics or Scientology. But anyway, either way, it, it's, I, I think it's, a, I, 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 he may not be defrauding people in the way that he's just trying to take the money and run, but I still think he's defrauding people with this just ridiculous cult of his that doesn't help anybody. He's morally defrauding them. (laughs) Exactly. So you have uh, the same narrator, uh, Alex Gibney. He says this crazy story. He starts uh, introducing this crazy story uh, from this guy that he interviewed who was asked by Hubbard in his last days to create some machine that could get this powerful Thetan out of his body. So Hubbard became increasingly paranoid that a powerful Thetan had infected his body, and that regular auditing wasn't strong enough to make it leave. Yeah, that sounds like a sane individual, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. When Larry Wright was researching his book, he videotaped an interview with a Scientologist who was asked to help Hubbard expel the Thetan. So then, this is Sarge... Fouth, it's, it's Fouth,
0: <laughs> Sarge Fouth. Fouth, it's a German last name. He's a Scientologist for 14 years, and he was the one who built this 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 mm-hmm. extra powerful machine to help get rid of this pesky Thetan that was holding on, clinging on to Hubbard's physical body. And he goes on to say, he was having uh, problems uh, getting rid of a uh, BT, a body Thetan. So he wanted me to build a machine and basically blow the Thetan away just to get him out of there, blow him out, and also kill the body. Um, So, like, the off-camera guys saying, so he's basically asking you to kill the body, and he's like, well, basically, yeah, but uh, I didn't want to kill him, I just wanted to scare him. So I read some books about Nikola Tesla and stuff, and I figured, uh, you know, maybe building a Tesla coil would probably be the best route to go. I had little electrodes that you hook up to the e-meter, so when he's on the cans, then... uh, he would just flip the button and would do its thing. Off-camera guy goes, so did he try it? And uh, Sarge responds back, as far as I know, he
1: blew up my e-meter, burned it up. <laughs> then it cuts back to Lawrence Wright. Scientology really is a journey into the mind of L. Ron Hubbard. And the further you get into it, the more like L. Ron Hubbard you become. And that's a great quote.
0: All right, so that's part one. Wow, what a, uh, what a a what a little ride that's been so far um i think lrh stands for
1: large raging hemorrhoids
0: (laughs) i need some preparation h for my hemorrhoids yeah um so yeah we're gonna be breaking this down because it's so long uh you can check out me and mike on youtube if uh you would like some more of me and mike's content mike's youtube channel is uh youtube.com slash ocp communications and uh my YouTube channel is youtube.com/slash/DancingWithGhosts. Um, these are both fine channels, and um, we are both uh, OT level one clear. So um, we still have some ways to go up the bridge, but you know we're we're on our way so far. But uh, as for me and Mike, uh, we hope you look forward to part two next week. Until then, uh, good luck traveling up the bridge. Good night. See ya. What's up, guys? The new Dancing with Ghosts album that I have been working on is out now. You can buy it on iTunes or Bandcamp.com or anywhere else online where music is sold. Uh, If you go on Bandcamp, you can get a CD, a compact disc. Isn't that old school and retro of me? Remember those? Uh, or you could just message me on Facebook and say hey I want a copy of your CD and I will mail it out to you but uh, yeah it's out now and it is it is finished and it's uh, some good stuff so uh, if you want to go out and check that out then uh, like I said search iTunes anywhere else uh, music is sold online or go to bandcamp.com and search dancing with ghosts thank you she said i began to ask this question what is man and i found oddly enough that nobody could tell me what, what man was what did he consist of where was he going what was he doing to really know life you've got to be a part of life you must get down and look you must get into the nooks and crannies of existence the you, you have to rub elbows with all kinds and types of men before you can finally establish what he is And you know, in fact, uh, I did this. Yes, I've slept with bandits in Mongolia, and I've hunted with uh, pygmies in the Philippines. Matter of fact, I've studied 21 different primitive races, including the white race. And my conclusion was that man is a spiritual being that was put down to the material, the fleshly interests, to an interplay in life that was, in fact, too great for him to confront. And I concluded, finally... That he needed a hand, and um... so you know, this guy's just clearly, clearly a genius.
1: You know, he's just full of shit. So um, he's Foss. He's got full of shit syndrome. Let me see here. Okay. By the way, that's a good uh, Elron uh, imitation. Keep it up.
0: Keep it up. Hold on, I'm gonna have to make an edit here. 31, 32, 33. What the fuck? Where's my other goddamn. <laughs> where are my other fucking things at? Did I not send the file to myself that I sent to you? I don't see where I put other people in. These damn Scientologists! <laughs>
1: They're
0: foiling it! I have Thetans in my ass! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh! Oh, Rocco, <laughs> Bev. All right, so firing up the old crap top laptop, map top
1: laptop. <laughs> How's your cat? Okay, he's not in the room right now, so I don't know what he's doing. I know my parents are home, so
0: thought I heard some talking in the background. Yeah. Didn't you tell? Didn't you tell them quiet on the set?
1: <laughs> no, they just came home. I didn't. I didn't know when they were gonna be home today.
0: You should. You should yell at them from your room. Hey, <laughs> quiet!